Thank you, Emily. Thank you, choir. That was glorious. Well, friends, it's good to be back with you in worship today. Uh, Having spent the last week out in New Mexico, and actually last Sunday, I was at Christ in the Desert Monastery. And there's a curious event that occurred because at that monastery, they actually reminded people that next Sunday, the Protestants will be celebrating Reformation Sunday. And I thought that was an odd announcement, but I was so happy that they... uh, that they too recognize that there is a Reformation Sunday. Friends, our scripture reading this morning is just one of my favorites. Uh, It comes from the gospel according to Luke. I don't think it is by chance that the 15th chapter is the exact epicenter of Luke's gospel. For Luke and for me, this chapter, this is the heart of the gospel. This is what the good news is really about. And It's a a chapter I'm sure familiar to many of you. There are three parables. We're only going to deal with two of them this morning. But let us now turn our attention to the Word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we we give you thanks. You never, never fail to bless us in the reading and hearing of your most sacred word. May it find its home in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that your most Holy Spirit would be upon me, guiding my thoughts, removing from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity, I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. So this couple had been married some 46 years, and they were driving down a a dusty country Texas road on the way to visit their children, and mainly their grandchildren. The wife was sitting on the pad, leaned against the passenger door with her, her arm out the window. The husband had his arm out the other window as he held onto the steering wheel with one hand. 
They were a little perturbed because their, their pace was greatly slowed by the pickup truck in front of them. Looking through the rearview window, they could, window, they could see a, a, an amorous, cuddly young couple who were obviously in no rush to get anywhere quick. And as they sat there, leaning out their windows, going down this long dirt road, watching this couple through the windshield of the, or the rear window of the pickup truck, the wife of 46 years looked over at her husband. She looked at that pickup truck, and then she said, you know, we used to cuddle like that. What happened? And the husband, sitting squarely behind the wheel, said, well... Who moved? Good question. Who moved? This story came to me this past week as I was talking to a woman who was explaining to me why she doesn't go to church anymore. She's just not feeling it anymore. It doesn't speak to her the way it used to speak to her. It's not a priority like it used to be a priority. There's just a a distance between her and God. And I could empathize with her because there have been times in my life when I have felt that distance, when getting up and going to church on Sunday just didn't seem like the top priority. And and I'm a preacher. I know what it's like to feel that that sense of, ah, that blasé feeling about the faith, that that distance from God, that, that lack of fire and enthusiasm. I know what that feels like. I'm guessing maybe some of you have had those days as well. And when we're in those valleys, when we're feeling blasé, when we're feeling uninspired, when we're feeling distanced from God, we need to ask ourselves the question, who moved? Was it God? Or was it us? I'm guessing you know the answer. Why does this happen to us? Why do we find ourselves in these experiences of wilderness and distance and alienation? For some people, without a doubt, it's a very intentional choice. There are some people who intentionally distance themselves from God. You know, we all have an idea about the way life is supposed to work and, and what our place in the world is supposed to be, but, but life is complicated and difficult and sometimes the road gets bumpy and, and sometimes those bumps cause deep pain and anguish and hurt and disappointment and despair. And sometimes we get angry with God because life isn't what it's supposed to be. This isn't the way I'm supposed to be living. This isn't the job I'm supposed to have. This wasn't supposed to happen to my family. I'm not supposed to be the one having this. And the people get angry, and they, they get disappointed with God, and so they, they intentionally turn their backs and walk away. Maybe you've known some folks like this. Brothers, it's not that they so much intentionally distance themselves from God. It's just they, they kind of drift away. They kind of meander, following one tuft of grass after another tuft after another. And they get caught up in the busyness of life until their meandering has taken them to places that they don't know how they would ever even begin to find their way back home. 
They didn't mean to stray. They didn't mean to get lost, but there they are in the wilderness. There are others, though. There are those who become separated from God. And the feeling of alienation from God's love because of the intentional acts of other people. You know, one of Charles Dickens' greatest characters is Oliver Twist. And if you remember, Oliver is taught from such a young age to steal and pick pockets that for him it becomes second nature. It's like walking or talking or breathing is just the context for his life. And he doesn't know how to be alive without picking a pocket or two. But he was taught to do that. Sometimes the intentions of others lead us astray. I'm just going to say, I, I'm just really shocked these days about how many kids spend more time on the soccer fields than they do at Sunday school. How many kids spend more time with their coaches than they do with their Lord Jesus? Sometimes people are distanced from God by the actions of others. You know, however we get there, it can be disconcerting, disoriented. When you find yourself in the wilderness, when you find yourself separated, unloved, unwelcomed, unappreciated, uncared for, it's not a pleasant place to be however you find yourself there. But to those people who are feeling distance from God, our scripture reading this morning is nothing but good news. There is good news in these two parables. First of all, we discover in these parables that God is a lot kinder than we are. God is kinder than we are. God reaches out with unqualified and unreserved love and forgiveness and a desire to welcome back all. We, although good people, deep in our hearts, we believe that sinners should get what they've got coming to them. Bad people deserve to be punished. If you do the crime, you should do the time. You should reap what you sow. You should get what's coming to you. But you see, God doesn't operate that way. God's a lot kinder and more merciful than we are. God is always ready to welcome back, to forgive, to embrace everyone. The other thing this story tells us is that God's favorite number is the number one. Think about it. His favorite number is the number one. He tells the story about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and 99 of them are doing really well, but one gets lost. Now, he puts his own well-being at risk as well as that of the rest of the sheep to go find this one lost sheep. 
One out of 99. Most of us would take a 99% return on investment as a good thing, wouldn't we? Oh, it's just one sheep. Just let it go. But God can't let it go because God's favorite number is one. Each and every one. So God is not satisfied with the law of averages or percentages. God is much more interested in one. That one and that one and each and every one. God's also a lot more frugal than we are. How many times have you walked down a street and seen a penny and you did not stop to pick it up? It wasn't worth the effort to bend over to pick up a penny, right? You ever done that? Many of us have. But you see, here's the thing about God. God stops and picks up every single penny. He tells this this crazy story about this woman who's got 10 coins. Now, if you lost your entire bag of coins, you would certainly get up in the middle of the night, light lamps, and turn the whole house upside down looking for it. But for one coin, really? You're going to go to all that trouble? But this is where Jesus says God is different from us because God goes to that trouble. God goes to those great lengths for the one coin, for the one sheep. God's favorite number is one. Everyone. Each and every one matters to God. And just because they may be lost or disillusioned or distracted or disinterested or distanced from God, that doesn't mean that God has lost interest in them. The lost are not devalued simply because they're lost. God loves us just as much when we stray from the folds of his pasture as he does when we're sitting there within the gates. The other thing we find out, the good news we find out from these parables is that God is relentless. I thought I had a relentless mother. She made us Make our beds. You, um, any of y'all know what the, the marine style of making a bed so you can bounce that quarter? Okay, that's the way my mother taught us to make our beds. And literally, we were in high school and would still have to be able to bounce quarters off of our beds. I thought she was relentless. But when you read in the scriptures about God's love, God is even more relentless than my mother. God doesn't give up. No matter how much flack, feedback, lip, smart aleck talk we give to, am I talking about God? Yes. Uh, We give to God. God doesn't give up on us. Here's the crazy thing. No matter how far we go, no matter what distance our journey that takes us away from God, no matter where we stray, where our wandering takes us, no matter how long and what effort we go to, to distance ourselves from God, God is never more than one step behind us. It only takes one step to be reunited to God. So no matter how long, how much effort, what great distance we go to, God is always there, ready to throw his arms around us, to forgive us, and to welcome us back into his loving embrace. God never, ever gives up on his children, no matter what. No matter how they've hurt him, 
or hurt each other or embarrass themselves, God is relentless. Friends, I hope you'll remember, as you think about your own life, as you think about your children's lives, as you think about the lives of the people who are important to you, as you think about your neighbors and the lives that they are leading, remember that God's favorite number is one. That one, and that one, and that one, and each and every one. And that God never, ever gives up. One of the greatest expressions of God's relentless love and mercy is when he sent his son Jesus into the world. He didn't wait for the world to get fixed. He didn't wait for the world to get it right. He didn't wait for the world to repent and straighten things out and become righteous. He sent his son into a broken and, and, and disheveled uh, and, and just a, a world where people are just mean and self-centered and into this mess. He sent his son to redeem the world and to bring life and love and salvation to all of us. Whenever we gather at this table, we celebrate our Lord's relentless love and the grace and the mercy that God extends to us through his son, Jesus Christ, always, always ready to welcome us home. And so I invite you to participate in this sacrament today in the name of the relentless love of God, the Holy Spirit, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. I invite you to this table, not because you are strong or righteous, but because you stand in constant need of God's help and God's mercy in your life. I invite you to this table, not because you have claims upon the rewards of heaven, but because you need God's love and grace and mercy. I invite you to this table, not to express an opinion, but to prayerfully seek the real presence of our living Lord, Jesus the Christ. Let us pray together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Most holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for all of creation, for the beauty of this world, for things seen and unseen, truly you are the creator of all. And it is in the praise of your holy name that we join the apostles and prophets in singing, offering our joy, offering our praise to your most holy name. Almighty God, we give you thanks and praise for sending us your son Jesus to live among us full of truth full of beauty, full of joy, full of grace. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, 
was a friend of sinners, and he taught us to pray. Hear us now as in this moment of silence we offer our prayers for those who are dear to us. Almighty God, in the fullness of time, your Son, Jesus, took up his cross, and he died that we might live. We give you thanks that he has now overcome death and, and sits on the right hand of the throne of heaven. We give you thanks knowing that he is still the friend of sinners. And we rejoice in the reassurance that when he comes again, we will celebrate victory with him. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be upon us, giving us a sense of graciousness and unity with all who share this feast this day, that together we might be God's joyful people. Hear us now as we unite our voices, praying as Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples. And after giving thanks, he took the bread, and he broke it. He told his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink, do this in remembrance of me. Church family, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are proclaiming the powerful, relentless love of Jesus Christ until he comes once again. In a few moments, the ushers will come to your row and invite you to come forward. And we invite you to come and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And in that manner, we'll take this communion and experience this real presence of Christ with us as a community as well as us as individuals. For those who have gluten allergies, there's a gluten station right there in the back that uh, will be there for your service. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.